please do grab a seat. We're going to hear our re-reading now from Becky. There she is. I couldn't work out where you, where you were. Is it, is it on the screen? Good, there you go. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Dom Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's very nice to see you. Now, I kid you not, as that reading was happening, Anna was sat next to me with an interlinear Greek version of the Bible. It was very impressive. So I'm going to hand over to Anna now. (laughs) Now, today, of course, we're looking at Doubting Thomas. Now, I'm wondering if you've ever been defined by, like, one thing. If anybody has ever tried to define you by just one thing. Now, I think for me, people think, Sarah, she wears Doc Martens. I'm not today, so joke's on you. But I'm defined by a lot of different things. Like in school, I remember when I went up to high school, you know on that day when you go from junior school to high school and you visit, like in advance of going in September. And one of the classes that we visited was my brother's class. Of course it was. So, you know, my, my year group went in and there's my brother and his mates sat at the back and I'm thinking, oh no. And, uh, and his mates went, oh, which one's your sister? And he went, the one with the silly hair, great. Um, so, so, but then I became known as Mini Bob. My brother was known as Bob, so I was called Mini Bob for about two years of my life. Um, I know, I know. But then, because of my height, I was going to say height problems, it's not a problem. Um, because, of, because of my height, um, they started to call me giraffe as I grew. So my brother's friends started to call me giraffe, and that stuck as well. And so for the remaining kind of three years of high school, I was known as giraffe. And that's what I was called. And rather than be offended by that name, I decided to adopt it and think, fair enough, this is what I am now, I'm a giraffe. So, so to this day, I still have lots of giraffe things around. People buy me all sorts of giraffes. And like, that's one of the sort of things that has defined me, this this apparent love of giraffe or being a giraffe you know it was one of my you know when we all had cool email addresses I was giraffe 2000 UK oh yeah um, 
and then 2001, 2002, anyway. Um, but that was me. That's what I was defined by. So I'm wondering if you have that experience of like being defined by something, whether you like it or not. Like people just see something in you or pick something about you and they define you as that thing. And it's like that is all they see. And whether it's a good thing and you like it or it's a bad thing and you don't really like it at all, that is suddenly what you're defined as, isn't it? And that can be quite difficult. And it doesn't ever give a fair picture. So no matter if it's a good thing or a bad thing, it never gives a fair and full picture of who we are, because how can it? And so when I came to thinking about doubting Thomas, I thought, is this a fair picture that we have of Thomas, that he's a doubter? Because that's what church history has made him, this person that doubted. Now, I then set about looking through my Bible, not the Greek version, I have to say, um, but I did go through the Gospels and see how often Thomas appears. And he doesn't appear that often. And he only actually speaks four times. So he doesn't say a lot. So this guy, we haven't got much to work with. But I thought, you know what, let's have a look at what he does say because we can find out a lot about him. So the first time he speaks is in John 11 and it's verse 16. So this is where Lazarus has just died. And Jesus is being asked to go to where Lazarus is. But his disciples are saying, but you can't go there because they will kill you. If you go there, you will be killed. And Jesus is going to go anyway. But the disciples don't want him to, except for Thomas, who says, let us go that we may die with him. Like, cheery, yes. But this is not the voice of a doubter, is it? This is not the voice of somebody that's doubting Jesus at all. This is the voice of somebody saying, let's go with him. Do you know what? If he dies, we die with him. That's not some guy who's full of doubt. That's a guy that is all in. He is 100% in. He is following Jesus. And he's going to follow Jesus to death. The second time we hear him speak is in John 14, verse 5. And this is just after the Last Supper, and Jesus has said to his disciples, oh gosh, I haven't written it down, let me think, what does Jesus say to his disciples? Um, (laughs) That's so embarrassing. This is like a talk I do all the time in funerals, and yet I've forgotten. Um, I go to prepare a place for you, and in my, (laughs) I go to prepare, (laughs) you didn't help me, yeah, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you, and then he says, you know the way to where I am going, and Thomas pipes up, and he says, how can we know the way, how can we know the way, and it's like, it's not a voice of doubt, But it's Thomas wanting to make sure that he knows where Jesus is going so that he can go with him. Like, this is not a doubting person from what I see. The way I see it is that Thomas is 100% in. He is so wanting to follow Jesus. He's going to follow him to death. And when Jesus talks about going to another place, he wants to know where that is and how he can get there because he doesn't want to be left behind. He wants to make sure that he's following Jesus. So then what's going on about this doubting thing? Well, at the start of the reading that we had today, you find the disciples hiding in a room. It says they're scared of the Jewish leaders. They're scared of the people that have been wanting to kill Jesus because it's likely that they're not going to be that happy with Jesus' followers either. So they're hiding in this room together. But Thomas isn't there. 
what's Thomas doing? Who knows? Maybe he wasn't invited. I don't know. But they've all got together, and he's not there. And then, resurrected Jesus appears to them. Like, this is the first time they're seeing Jesus. Isn't this incredible? Like, what an incredible moment. Suddenly, Jesus is alive, and he says, peace be with you. And then it says that he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. Wow, like, what a moment. This is an incredible thing. But poor old Thomas misses out completely. (laughs) Like, this is such a big event, but Thomas isn't there and misses out on this whole thing. Now, I don't know what your friends are like, but if I had 10 friends that I'd normally meet with and they didn't invite me on something and the one time I'm not there, they tell me this incredible thing has happened, I'm not going to believe them, to be honest, because they're probably trying to wind me up. So when Thomas doesn't believe them, I think, yeah, fair enough. Maybe he thinks they're all like delusional because they all want Jesus to be alive. So maybe he's thinking they've sort of had a group delusion or something and, you know, it's wishful thinking. They're really wanting that to be true. And Thomas is going, hmm, doesn't, doesn't sound likely. Maybe he thinks they're having him on. I doubt it, but he might do. And yet... This doubt, this is the thing that's defined him throughout church history. If I'm honest, I think that we would call Thomas sensible Thomas, wouldn't we? Like, of course he hasn't believed that story. It's a very tall story to believe. We'd call him sensible. Yeah, Thomas, don't believe that. Ask for evidence. Seems seems sensible to me. And you know what? If it hadn't been true, if Jesus wasn't resurrected and Thomas had believed them, We'd have called him gullible Thomas. I'm not sure there's like a good win here, is there? But actually, I don't think Thomas was any better or any worse than the other disciples. He just wasn't there. Like the other disciples saw Jesus, so of course they believed. Thomas just wasn't there. Would the others have doubted if they hadn't been there? Seems quite likely. And you know what? In the other Gospels... When, when the women tell the disciples that Jesus has been resurrected, some of them doubt it. So maybe they're all doubters anyway. But Thomas has been singled out and defined by this one thing. And that's despite that when he speaks before, he's this person of faith and he's this person of loyalty. He's the person that shows himself to be all in. And so I see Thomas as showing incredible loyalty to Jesus and incredible faith. It's just his friends that he's sort of doubting in this moment, and fair enough. And I think that we all know how that feels, to be defined by the one thing that you did one time, or to be defined by the one thing that you said that one time, to be defined by that one thing about you. Like, we've all had those experiences when they're like, oh yeah, I know, she's the one that did that. We all know what that feels like. But when Jesus encounters Thomas, he doesn't accuse him. That's not his first port of call. He doesn't decide to say, Thomas, you're a doubter. Why did you doubt? That's not what he does at all. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't tell him off. There's none of that that happens. He actually shows him what he said he needed to in order to believe 
I think it's that simple. And like Jesus does say, blessed are those who believe without seeing, but he doesn't say that we should all believe without seeing. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't say that we all will. It's okay to like need that evidence. It's okay that Thomas needed to see. It's okay that he couldn't just take his friend's account of what happened. And then Jesus says to Thomas, don't doubt, believe. He turns that moment of doubt into a strong belief. And he had a strong belief anyway. And that moment of doubt that he had is totally transformed. The story of Thomas doesn't carry on through the Bible, so it's not in there. But we believe what happened with Thomas is that he took the gospel of Jesus to India where he spread that gospel far and wide. And we then believe he was martyred for his faith in, I think, 72 AD. Yeah, a long time ago. He was martyred for his faith. He was all in. This is somebody that is in, like, 100% in. There was nothing in him that seems to doubt when I look at him. He wasn't defined by that moment of doubt. Whether the church has defined him as that, whether people around him did, he was not defined by that. And he went on to do amazing things for Jesus. And I think the message for us today is that we're not defined by our moments of doubt or by our moments of weakness either. We're not defined by that one thing we did that one time or that one thing we said. We're not defined by what other people say we are defined by. And when it comes to faith, we can find ourselves anywhere on that scale, can't we? Like we can get out of bed in the morning and think, oh, I I just feel like God loves me and I'm so loved by Jesus and it's wonderful. And then the next day you can get out of bed and think, oh my goodness, this again. Like it's a scale. None of us live on one end of the scale. We all move about on it all the time. And in reality, all of us have doubts. But I think it's in speaking our doubts out loud to one another and bringing them to Jesus that we really learn to deal with them. That we learn that Jesus wants to respond to our doubts as well as anything else. You know, my own journey of faith over the years, I've had so many doubts. But it's when I actually talk about them to somebody else. It's when I pray about them. It's when I seek answers that I actually learned, that I've really grown in my faith. And so this afternoon, the message really is about not allowing yourselves to be defined by your doubts, by your weaknesses, by others' opinions of you, but actually bring those things to Jesus so that they can be transformed. Because he transforms our doubt into belief and he transforms our fear into courage our weaknesses into strengths. And so this afternoon, only be defined by what Jesus says you are. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for revelation of you in our lives. And we pray that you would help us to bring our doubts to you, to bring our fears and our failures, that they may be transformed by your love. Father, we thank you that our doubts are not sinful or wrong, but that they can lead to growth. Amen.